This is Government Gone Digital. I'm Dana Birchman, Chief Digital Officer here in Gilbert, Arizona, and I'm here today with our multimedia analyst, digital guru, Derek Konofowski, and we just held our fifth annual, hard to believe it's been five years, Five years. Uh, Spark App League event, our game jam at Arizona State University's Polytechnic campus. So what is Spark App League? Well, we've done a few podcasts about Spark in the past, but we just held this two-day event that brings junior high and high school students from across Arizona together to use data to create mobile apps and games. Over these two days, the students learned about the importance of coding by working in teams to develop a game using Scratch from MIT. So it was just an awesome, awesome event. We brought Waymo on as our sponsor for the first time. If you're not familiar with them, they're formerly Google's self-driving car project. And this is one of the first projects that they've sponsored. And so it was really great to have them and interacting with the kids. And they brought an engineer who spoke. So let's talk a little bit about the event. And I thought it was the best one yet, of course. Um, it's it's when you start to do something for five years, you know, you get pretty good at it. You know, we always yeah. say we're not in the event business, but with the help of ASU and great partners and sponsors, we're able to pull off what I think is one of the coolest coding events in the country. Yeah, and I, I agree. I, I think this year's was the, the best one so far for a few reasons, but I think it mainly revolved for me personally around the fact that for me as a host, I, I feel like I just kind of like have it down now. I'm not at once the event once the day of the event hits i'm not as worried about the logistics and everything i'm more worried about just getting the kids coding and thinking about you know the design of things and and working in teams the stuff that really will help them in the future in their careers kind of the that real world uh, experience that they're getting it's not quite as intensive they don't have deadlines i mean they do have a deadline you know in terms of the end of the event or whatever but they kind of get to set how far they want to go it's not it's not prescribed to them that this is what you have to do in this amount of time it's it's here are some guidelines and then go for it so in that regard, I think the event was really successful. Two, although I love Google and think Google is a great sponsor, I think Waymo is a much better fit for the uh, event and just for Spark in general, having the people there that are working on something that I think the, the students especially will in just a few years get kind of the end they'll see they'll see the end result of exactly what Waymo is doing. I think self-driving cars are going to pop up a lot faster than a lot most people, you know, assume or or think that they're going to pop up. And so just hearing from the different experiences, um, our speaker did a great job of kind of telling his story and how he got involved with it and what his background was, which I think was really inspiring for a yeah, lot of the he students. He started with unmanned helicopters, which was so cool and he's a young guy. Yeah. So for them to see someone really young in this space, you know, obviously using code to be innovative and, and with new technology, it was just so powerful for them to be able to look up to someone and it's like a celebrity factor. Yeah, you know, they exactly. This amazing person that they could aspire to be. And he talked a lot about his boss, who's a woman and yep. uh, works for NASA or worked for NASA prior. And it, it's pretty interesting to see their faces and how engaged they are. And really over the course of two days, you, yep. know, you, you don't lose their attention span. It's hard to even describe 
the event without being in the room. We've talked about making this expanding and trying to do this virtually, but I really think you would lose the sense of what it feels like to get those kids in the room. In fact, on the second day, there were kids, we were starting at 8 a.m. and there were kids there already up coding with their computers open at the table by 7.30. Yeah, and, and those, I mean, those kids and others, a lot of them had even continued all throughout the rest of the night. We had some kids telling us that they were up till 9, 10, 11, midnight, you know, just because they, they just wanted to keep working. And I've even already gotten emails from some teachers that some of their students were talking about going to ASU for college. And, you know, uh, some of the junior high kids actually, you know, they, they still have a few years left, but they were talking about, well, I definitely want to be a programmer now going forward. And, you know, they want to work for Waymo and they want to, you know, see what's out there. And I just, I think all of those things combined really led to it being the best event that we've done. I mean, just the atmosphere was great. I feel like the students, a lot of the students were prepared. They, they, their teachers had done the teacher training or watched the videos on our website. And I just think this was the first time that it, that really, not that the previous events weren't successful or anything. I thought the previous events were great, but this one just felt like it gelled really, really well. Everything just kind of fit the way that it should have. And ASU is, you know, as you mentioned, it was great hosts, great partners. Um, they did a great job just kind of helping us coordinate everything and get uh, the self-driving car was actually on campus there. And so coordinating that with Waymo and getting that together. They had a photo really booth cool. so kids could take pictures, which was awesome. Yeah, it really drove home all the points that I think for me, I try to stress to all the students, which include things like just the variety of careers that programmers are going to have to have. Um, one of the statistics that to me is a little scary, but also kind of exciting is I keep reading um, in surveys from tech companies, but just normal industries as well, because I think people tend to focus on the tech companies that 80% of the jobs that are out there um, starting now that, that, that they anticipate opening up within the next year are jobs that are not, they're not looking just for programmers. They're looking for people who have an experience or, or expertise and experience in a different field or in their field, but that also know how to program. And some of our students had never even programmed before. Our winners, our yep. winners of the event had, they, they just kind of, uh, I think they said they were theater students. Yep, and they and spend they most just, of their time after school usually in the theater and that this was, they saw this opportunity and thought, why not? Let me try to code. Let's go back because you mentioned something I really want to touch on. Say someone has no idea what we're talking about, right? Sure, sure. Um, the teachers. So the teachers are oftentimes either they would like to incorporate this into their curriculum or they're running a club after school, um, maybe a coding group that gets together on the side. And a lot of the times what we've found is these teachers are intimidated because their students are far more advanced in coding than they are. This is not an area oftentimes they were trained in. And so you came up with this amazing idea to train them before. So talk a little bit about what that process is, and then the teachers can walk in feeling prepared. And that was one piece of feedback this time that I felt that these teachers were now gaining this confidence when they're mm -hmm. interacting with their students, not just at the event, but after the event. And I think that's something that uh, really should be mentioned, because if there are teachers out there who are listening to this and think, huh. Maybe there's an opportunity, and again, kids who've never coded before that are walking in. This is what we call our beginning beginners event, where kids can literally walk in knowing nothing about code and win the event, and there are prizes at the end. So talk yeah. about the prep that you do to get the teachers ready um, 
to be at the event and then beyond? Sure. So the, the kind of the premise of the teacher training or that entire piece. So my background, um, prior to coming here, I'm, I'm, I'm a web developer by trade and, and, uh, I do app development and stuff like that as well. Um, but for a while I worked for Apple as a trainer and I started off as a trainer for kind of their professional level software. Um, they have like final cut, which is video editing software and audio editing software. And then they have like photo editing software and they were like professional level tools. And on, on a regular basis, uh, I would work with both, you know, young individuals and also older individuals. And sometimes, you know, people who are in their seventies and eighties who had just gotten started using a computer. And one of the kind of common threads that I always noticed, and you hear it all the time that, that people have this idea that technology is kind of out of reach. Like they missed the boat and it's, it's just, they, they can't get to it. You know, my, my nephew or my daughter or my granddaughter, she just picked the iPad up or she just picked the computer up and she's a whiz at it. And she, you know, you hear that kind of stuff all the time. I'm not computer savvy or whatever. Well, naturally that thread kind of extended to teachers. When we surveyed teachers and students after the event, after previous events, once I came onto the organization, uh, the common thread there also was that the students felt like their teachers weren't able to help them much because the students were already kind of past the level of where the teachers were. And then the teachers on the you know same uh, side of the coin really wanted to help their students, but just felt like they just didn't have the resources nor the time to really sit down and kind of teach themselves how to program. So for a beginner level event, I think, you know, my solution was just, okay, well, we kind of start this planning, we start the sign up months before the event, because we need to know how many students are going to sign up, how many teachers, how many teams, that kind of thing. So there's a quite a bit of time that we have in the middle where I felt like I could use that time to just grab the teachers that were interested in learning and just walk them through exactly what the students were going to do. So uh, you mentioned that kids can come to the event without ever having programmed before. And I think part of the reason for that is because I, at the event, I do walkthroughs of how to make a basic game or app or whatever the theme is. Um, we kind of follow along the things so that students, even if they're just following along with me, can leave the event with something in hand or something on their computer. They have something that they can show off to people. And by extension, the teacher training works the same way is, you know, a month or two before the event, I have an open sign up where teachers can sign up to be involved in kind of a virtual training where I do the same thing. I kind of walk them through um, exactly what we're doing with the students. Um, and that just because of the fact that they're kind of a month ahead of where the students are, they learn it, they get comfortable with it, they have time to ask me questions and kind of clarify anything that they don't understand or that they need help with. And then they have an entire month before they even have to help the students to make their own projects or make their own apps. And, and the teachers are, I'm always amazed, as much as I'm amazed at, at what the students come up with, I'm just as amazed at what some of the teachers come up with and, and kind of the questions that they ask and the things that they run into. Um, but it gives them that experience. And so then by the time they get to the actual event, they're ready. They're prepared. They've already done a lot of what the students are doing. They may not still have 
100% of the experience with some of the more advanced logic of coding, but they can help the majority of their students and even at least understand the issues that their students are running into so that they can help them, you know, find resources. And again, we're there. I'm, I'm at the event. We have volunteers and mentors also that are at the event that can help students with that stuff. But I think when the teacher can actively get involved and understand what the students are doing, then not only are the students excited about it, but the teacher's excited too. They all can share and communicate on the same level. We've talked a few times in the past on the podcast just about how how much a, a interaction changes when people feel like peers as opposed to um, you know feeling like it's your teacher and you're the student, so you have to kind of listen to what the teacher says. Totally. And actually, I think it was in our, uh, one of our previous Spark episodes. I talked because I was saying that I felt like I could I could talk to the students as peers and and we could discuss things about their apps or their games. And I just genuinely feel like they're. Um, they're so comfortable with it now, and the teachers are comfortable with it now that it's it's almost be, we're raising kind of the the floor of where somebody needs to be to consider themselves a programmer, you know. Mm-hmm. And again, I think it's so important because you have to be a programmer going forward. From you know, it might even be six months ago to now. Going forward, people will have to know how to program. Yes, even the kids in theater who've never yeah. thought about it before, yep. you must know how to program and code. And it's interesting because that was a kind of a common theme that we heard a lot about. And it's funny because when we started this program, even five years ago, it was the idea that we would attract students to think about computer science related majors when they got to college and to think about college, right? Because that's kind of one of the other main points is to expose them to this, you know, college campus at Arizona State University. And maybe they've never stepped foot on a campus. Maybe they've never thought about going to college. Some of them walk into the cafeteria for lunch and just stand there and look around like, is this what college is like? Mm -hmm. You know, amazing, amazing experience. Like a job at Waymo. I talked to a few kids who, for whatever reason, prior to the event felt like a job working at Google or Waymo or Facebook or like one of these cool tech companies was so out of reach. And the fact that Waymo was there, they brought the car there. You you get like, you know, a a person to talk to that does what you want to do. And I I could just see them light up. You know, he was only supposed to speak for 30 minutes Mm -hmm. and there were so many questions. Even when he stopped, I think four or five kids still had their hands in the air, but it went on for an hour. And, you know, the minute he finished, these kids were, you know, hands flying through the air asking amazing, thoughtful questions. And again, that engagement, where oftentimes these are kids that aren't challenged in the classroom, aren't engaged. The teachers tell us until they came to Spark they were kids they didn't know would finish school or would ever think about going to college. And so that's the point is to expose them to this idea of a career, a future, college, and education, all of that. And you see that happen. It's really just an amazing thing that we you know, have created this event that's giving these students the opportunity, the teachers the ex- experience. And so it's really powerful. We are talk a lot about wanting to expand the program and to be able to reach, you know, beyond maybe northern Arizona and really, you know, far south in Arizona or outside of Arizona. There's something about the in-person event that, you know, the students can look around the room and say, oh, those are kids just like me. Or I never thought, you know, about sitting and coding with these kids right across the table and our junior high students. I mean, they were just amazing. (laughs) Let's talk about some of your favorite 
apps that you saw developed. And, and again, they are working. I mean, they're, they're locked in. If you could see this room, you know, for two days straight, these kids are, in fact, I went around one time just to kind of peek over the shoulder and I'd ask a question. It's kind of, you'd get this look like, excuse me, I'm busy working. Yeah. I mean, they were in the zone. <laughs> yeah, like, totally. For two days, which is amazing. And one of the comments that was made, we have judges that walk around on the second day and, and then there's different categories they can win prizes in. And one of the comments that was made by a judge who'd been there last year was that they couldn't believe how many more completed games and Mm -hmm. projects there were this time. Same time frame, same kind of parameters. But these kids were the most engaged group that I've ever seen. And they had completed projects. And some of them were just, God, if you think about like 20 years ago in the gaming world, if they had come up with some of the ideas they came up with, like these kids would be millionaires. Yeah, you well, know? and that's my favorite part, I think, about the pro- the projects that the students put together. Whether, the, whether it's an app or a game, I think the the just the premises that they come up with so you know with with I'll, I'll use the video games as an example because that's that's kind of the one I think that's that kids relate to most but just when you think about like a game a lot of people don't I, I don't think they they really think about what is involved with a video game so just as an example if you take something like Super Mario Brothers the original Super Mario Brothers um, people you, you just kind of play the game. You just go, you start the game, you go, and, and you run. And most people don't even realize that the entire first level of Mario is essentially a tutorial that teaches you how to play. You know, there's, there's stuff when Mario first came out that was, people had never done it. You know, people were, were used to Pong or whatever. And so you're teaching people to control a character, to jump, to do all this stuff. And there's just a lot of thought in how you have to set up that first level or how you set up the game mechanic and a lot of the times with students they just want to make a game and they don't think to stop and and before they jump right in to separate themselves and and kind of plan out what the game is going to be what is what exactly is going to make this game fun or if we're talking about an app you know what makes this app useful or unique or better than something else and so when you know we're walking around I always notice that the projects that I like the most are the ones that the students actually took the time instead of jumping into code right away they, they took the time to storyboard and maybe even just sketch out a couple of the characters and things like that and what's great for me is that I look at that and see a exact parallel in the real like professional world. When you're designing or developing an app or a website or whatever the case may be, um, even you know something like our podcast, there's a lot of planning and preparation that goes into something like that, and you can't just you can't just run and gun it. You know, you can't just jump into it and just start programming and expect something awesome to come out. The the projects or the apps and stuff that are most successful are the ones that are thoughtful and planned out and that the the people working on them really think about what makes this unique or what separates this and elevates this from everything else. And those are my favorite projects. Our winners, one of my favorite things about their project was that they didn't jump into it, um, you know, kind of just and start working. They mapped out the entire course of what their project was going to be, where where you start when you first open it up, um, you know, what the path is that you have to take. And then they kind of, you know, there were some things that they filled in as they were working, but they showed us like all the paper that they had where they had sketched out literally every piece of their game before they wrote a single bit of code. And so then 
on day two when I'm walking around looking at people's projects and there's some students freaking out because they don't think they'll have enough time and well we got this far but we don't think we'll be able to like finish this up what do you think we should do these groups the ones that planned this out I almost felt like they they had it too easy like they were coasting because they had already thought all this mm -hmm. stuff out they had they had figured out a timeline of hey how long is this going to take us to do this what are the parts that are going to be the most involved let's knock those out first and get the actual game going and then we can make it pretty and you know all this other stuff it, it was just like a night and day thing and theirs was to me the best example they had not only multiple like pieces of the map of their game but there were different elements to the game so it wasn't just the same thing over and over which again it's a 24 hour about 24 it's two days but the students have about 24 hours to to really finish and turn around these games and uh the the, the 24 hours i think we get a lot students kind of figure out a basic game mechanic and then they run with that but their levels of their game or whatever are usually just variations of that same theme it's the same you know mechanic over and over either the character has to get from point a to point b or you have to do a b or c whatever the case may be but with these students they had multiple different you know mechanics inside their game you did a, a little you know kind of adventure game, kind of like uh, The Legend of Zelda, where your character kind of walks through this map and there are enemies and you have to, they were, they were garbage enemies. Our theme was Earth Day for this event. So uh, the students had to like clean up the garbage, but then the game turned into like this maze where you're lost in a maze of trash. And then the next part, there was like a boss level and stuff. I mean, it was just really, really well thought out and it wasn't the same thing over and over. And I think that was what kind of separated them. Some others that I really enjoyed, um, there were, were students that took the game that we had created during the walkthrough. I don't. I think they had already planned out to do a similar type of game, but they didn't realize that that was what we were going to do for the walkthrough. And so they kind of looked at that, and instead of saying, oh, well, now our game is just the same as what you know the, the, the tutorial is, they took that as a challenge and, and said, how can we separate our game and make it more interesting so that it's not exactly like the tutorial? And they came up with some cool concepts and they, they wrote some code. They actually, I, I believe they were our winners for the most technical project because they came up with a really, really cool counter and score system that they made completely from scratch. Um, they didn't use the stuff that's built into the tools that we gave them. So um, just I see adult level creativity and adult level thinking from junior high and high school exactly. students. It's amazing. And, it blows. and so those are my favorite projects. Yeah. The, they're the, the ones that we didn't have to tell them to do this stuff. They just they saw it. They thought about what the problem was going to be. And then they figured out their own solutions for it. And those solutions happen to include project management and project scoping and stuff like that. You know, we're not we're never, ever going to call it that for them. But they we're, were doing it. Yeah, doing yeah. It's it. almost like it. we are tricking it. Yeah. I mean, in general, we're tricking them into thinking about things that they've never thought about by introducing them to games and apps, you know, tricking with the theme. Tricking them into going to college. Yeah, yeah. We kind of, I, I don't, you know, obviously like the word trick because it has like a negative connotation, but that's really, yeah. it really is what we're doing. And just to kind of reflect back on my own experience, I've done talks at the Gilbert Public Schools Summer Expo where I mentioned that my experience, I got tricked into learning how to program through video games because I wanted to know how to make my own video game because I loved playing 
playing, you know, certain games. And I just, I started by learning to customize them and then going from there. And I see that same thing happening with these students. Like I said, I'm, I got emails already from some of the teachers after the event saying that, you know, their students are sad, the event is over, but they're still programming and they're, they're thinking about what their next projects are going to be, or they're thinking about what they can do in their free time before the school year is over. And, and they're just seeing that after event buzz is probably um, the most rewarding piece of the whole thing because that right there is exactly what's going to get those kids to make the decision to go to college and make the decision to make a career or start their own company and become entrepreneurs and come back to Gilbert hopefully. Yeah, and we should talk about the Gilbert piece. Um, People ask all the time, like, why are we involved in something like this and, and why Gilbert? And really, a couple of things. One, it started with the idea that we could leverage partnerships and our youth to help us to make useful mobile apps when we don't have budgets to buy $40,000, $50,000 mobile apps. So that's where it really spawned from, but it's grown into something else and really evolved. And obviously, using our data, we hold an advanced event as well. We held our mm-hmm. first one in December, and we built that around the idea of water conservation and mm-hmm. using the water data that's collected in Gilbert and how much water used and so forth. So using our data, which is really important, and also this whole idea you mentioned about the homegrown entrepreneur, which is that we hope that these students, as we continue to track them into their future, will not only go to college, but then return and come back either to Gilbert or around the surrounding areas and become our future workforce. And so this is really important. And I think, you know, it, when you're a new program, it's hard to track that progress into the future, but we're already doing that by building on a beginner event to an advanced event so that students can continue to come. And then we hope that those connections continue far beyond when they leave high school. And again, we're starting them earlier and earlier. So hopefully we can work with these students from junior high to high school on to college. And then at one point they'll come back and, you know, be the next Steve Jobs. You never know. Yeah. Well, and there's good statistical evidence for that too. Just, you know, if, if you look at all the different startups in the United States, um, a statistic that we, we found, there was a study done a couple years back where, uh, a very not insignificant percentage of people who are, trained or who learn their profession um, in, you know, a a city, for example, they come back to that city when it's time to start their business. And it's not always. The thing that interested me is I always assumed, I guess incorrectly, um, that that people come back to their hometown where they grew up or whatever. But that's not necessarily the case because even if you look at Silicon Valley, a lot of the people that started up companies in Silicon Valley weren't from there. They didn't live there, but they were educated in that area because the the schools in Silicon Valley made a huge investment to basically say like, hey, bring us your talent, you know, we'll train them. And then now you have a workforce ready to go. And that's kind of where that whole culture started up. So there's there's evidence that you can look at from other towns or other cities where people, um, especially students, whether it's college level or high school level, they tend to come back to the places that supported them during that that education process. And I think, you know, we've talked in the past a couple episodes uh, of the podcast before about open data and and providing that data and and. Patrick and I were talking about uh, something that the Sunlight Foundation calls tactical citizen engagement, which is essentially, you know, you don't want just to have all this information or have these programs that then just sit there unused. You need to be proactive and get students involved with them. And that's kind of, 
you know, just to, to not to put too fine a point on it, but that's kind of my future goal for Spark is I would like to see students using as much of our data as possible. So once we get that open data portal, they'll be able to use that data outside of Spark. You know, we provide them with data for the Spark events, but once those events are over, um, they have to then go looking for sources of data. Yep. And so when we have our open data portal open and live, yeah, they'll come to, uh, and it will, it doesn't matter what they do with it. It will just be a constant supply or a constant stream of information that they can pull from. And, uh, you know, like with most things in programming or coding, you learn concepts not based on very, very specific information. You learn general concepts that kind of apply to all kinds of different fields. And so that's when, again, going back to that statistic, it allows students to get a specialty or their degrees in something um, that they are truly passionate about while at the same time giving them these tools and these skills that they can use for programming to get these other jobs. So for me personally, I would like to see the future of Spark kind of branch off where students have access to this afterwards, but then I would also like to see it turned around to kind of go back to where the root of this program was and have students um, working to figure out civic tech issues. What kinds of things can we work on in Gilbert that can improve the lives of the residents in Gilbert? And a lot of our students live in Gilbert, their parents live in Gilbert, their families live in Gilbert. That's kind of how they find out about the program. Um, so I would like to see them get involved in government, in coding for government, because again, I don't think a lot of times people think about, oh, I'll be a programmer and then go work for the government. You know, they think about programmers, they usually think about tech companies, and, and but that's not going to be the case anymore. Every company is going to need a programmer or an engineer or those types of things. I mean, that's that's just how the the landscape of technology is playing out is everybody will need some kind of technical background. Absolutely. So, And so if you're out there and you want to learn more about Spark, definitely visit our website, sparkappleague.com. You can follow us on social media channels. And if you're a teacher who's wanting to get involved or want to bring your students, or if you're a you know, future coder, or if you have kids who you'd like to get involved with the program, please um, check out our website. I think you'll find it's a very unique program. Every time we've brought someone in, whether it's been Google or Waymo, they've commented on the fact that they haven't seen a program like this anywhere in the country. So really unique, something we're really proud of. I think we're going to continue to build and grow it, like you said. And um, we look forward We look forward to many years of success for yeah. Spark. Yeah, so if you're interested, sign up. There's a form on the website that you can fill out to contact me. At the bottom of every single page, there's also a little email field that you can sign up for updates if you want to find out when the next events are and things like that. Um, and then we also post the winners of all the contests on there so you can see the winning projects. Um, you can see all the different photos and I mean, I, I, literally anything that you need to know is on there. There's also some information about our sponsor Waymo, um, about our partners ASU, but you can also obviously go to their website, waymo.com, um, you know, asu.edu and then gilbertaz.gov to find out about, you know, all three organizations that are involved, but it's sparkappleague.com and I highly encourage you to go visit and sign up um, for our mailing list to find out when new stuff is coming up because there's always new stuff with us. Awesome. Perfect. And thank you all for listening. Be sure to engage with us on social media. If you have questions or comments, use the hashtag GovGoneDigital. Also, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think about this podcast. And we'll see you soon from Gilbert, Arizona on Government Gone Digital. <laughs>